You are tuned to Radio Free Asgard, episode number 342. The story of Gerd and Fry. Fry, the brother of Freya, was the mightiest of the Vanir. He was handsome and noble, a warrior and lover, but he was missing something in his life and he did not know what it was. The mortals of Midgard revered Fry. He made the seasons, he said. Fry made the fields fertile and brought forth the life from the dead ground. The people worshipped Fry and they loved him, but this did not fill the empty place inside him. Fry took stock of his possessions. He had a sword so powerful and remarkable that it fought by itself, but this did not satisfy Fry. He had Gulinbursti, the boar with the golden bristles created by the dwarf Brock and his brother Atri. Gulinbursti pulled Fry's chariot. It could run through the air and over the water, run faster than any horse, and run even in the darkest night, for its golden bristles shone so brightly. But Gulinbursti did not satisfy Fry. He had Skidbladnir, a boat made for him by the three dwarves known as the Sons of Ivaldi. It was not the biggest ship that there was. That was Nagolfjar, the death ship made from the untrimmed fingernails of the dead. But there was room for all of the Aesir on board. When the sails of Skidbladnir were set, the winds were always fair, and it took you wherever you needed to go. Even though it was the second biggest ship there had ever been, and would hold all of the Aesir, Fry could fold Skidbladnir up like a cloth and place it in his bag. It was the best of all ships, but Skidbladnir did not satisfy him. He owned the finest residence that was not Asgard. It was Alfheim, the home of the Light Elves, where he was always welcomed and acknowledged as overlord. There was nowhere like Alfheim, and yet it did not satisfy him. Fry's servant Skirnir was one of the Light Elves. He was the finest of servants, fair of counsel and fair of face. Fry ordered Skirnir to harness Gulinbursti, and they set out for Asgard together. When they reached Asgard, they walked towards Valhalla, the great hall of the slain. In Odin's Valhalla lived the Einherjar, those who fight alone. All the men who have died nobly in battle since the beginning of time. Their souls are taken from the battlefields by Valkyries, the warrior woman charged by Odin with the task of bringing the souls of the noble dead battle slain to their ultimate reward. There must be a lot of them, said Skirnir, who had not been there before. There are, Fry told him, but there are more to come, and still more will be needed when we fight the wolf. They heard the sound of battle as they approached the fields around Valhalla. They heard the clash of metal on metal, the thud of metal on flesh. As they watched, they saw powerful warriors of all ages and places, well-matched in battle, dressed in their war gear, each man fighting his hardest. Soon enough, half the men were laying dead on the grass. Enough, called a voice. The battle is over for the day. At this, those who were still standing helped the dead men get up from the courtyard floor. Their wounds healed as Fry and Skirnir watched, and they clambered onto their horses. All the soldiers who had fought that day, whether they had won or lost, rode home to Valhalla, the Hall of the Noble Dead. Valhalla was an enormous hall. It had 540 doors, and each door allowed 800 warriors to walk abreast. It seated more people than the mine could hold. In the hall, the warriors cheered as the feast began. They were eating boar meat, ladled out from an enormous cauldron. This was the meat of the boar, Serimnir. Every night they would feast upon the boar's meat, and each morning the monstrous beast would be alive again, 
ready to be slain later that day, and to give its life and its flesh to feed the noble dead. No matter how many of them there were, there would always be enough meat. Mead was brought for them to drink. So much mead for so many warriors, said Skirnir. Where does it come from? It comes from a goat called Heidrun, Fry told him. She stands on top of Valhalla and eats the leaves of the tree called Lerad, which is what we call that branch of Yggdrasil, the world tree. From her udders the finest mead flows. There will always be enough for every warrior. They walked to the high table where Odin sat. He had a bowl of meat in front of him, but did not taste it. He would stab a piece of meat with his knife from time to time and flick it onto the ground to be eaten by one of his wolves, Geri and Freki. Two ravens sat on Odin's shoulders, and he would give the ravens scraps of meat as well, while they whispered to him of things that were happening far away. He isn't eating, whispered Skirnir. He does not need to, said Fry. He drinks. He only needs wine, nothing else. Come on, we are done here. Why were we here? asked Skirnir as they walked out of one of the 540 doors of Valhalla. Because I wanted to make certain that Odin was here in Valhalla with the warriors and not at his own hall at the Hlidskjalf, the observation point. They entered Odin's hall. Wait here, said Fry. Fry walked alone into Odin's hall and clambered up onto the Hlidskjalf, the throne from which Odin could see everything that happened across the nine worlds. Fry looked out across the worlds. He looked to the south, to the east, and to the west, and he did not see the thing that he was looking for. Then he looked to the north and saw the thing he was missing in his life. Skirnir was waiting by the door when his master came from the hall. There was an expression on Fry's face Skirnir had never seen before, and Skirnir was afraid. They left that place without speaking. Fry drove the chariot pulled by Gulibursti back to his father's hall. Fry spoke to nobody when they got there. Neither his father Njord, who was master of all who sailed the seas, nor his stepmother Skadi, the lady of the mountains. He went to his room with a face as dark as midnight, and there he stayed. On the third day, Njord sent for Skirnir. Fry has been here for three days and three nights, Njord said. He has not eaten, nor has he drunk anything. This is true, said Skirnir. What have we done to anger him so? asked Njord. My son, who was always so gentle and filled with kind, wise words, now says nothing, only looks at us with fury. What did we do to upset him so? I do not know, said Skirnir. Then, said Njord, you must go to him and ask him what is happening. Ask him why he is so angry he will not speak to any of us. I would rather not, said Skirnir, but I cannot refuse you, Lord. He is in such a strange dark mood, I am afraid of what he will do if I ask him. Ask him, said Njord, and do what you can for him. He is your master. Skirnir of the Light Elves went to where Fry stood, looking out at the sea. Fry's face was clouded and troubled, and Skirnir hesitated to approach him. Fry, said Skirnir. Fry said nothing. Fry, what has happened? You are angry. Or you are downcast. Something has happened. You have to tell me what is happening to you. I am being punished, said Fry, and his voice sounded hollow and distant. I went to the Allfather's holy seat and I looked out at the world. For my arrogance in believing I had a right to the observation place, my happiness has been taken from me forever. I have paid for my crime and I am paying still. 
My lord, said Skirnir, what did you see? Fry was silent, and Skirnir thought he had once again sunk into troubled silence. But after some time he said, I looked to the north. I saw a dwelling there, a splendid house, and I saw a woman walking up to the house. I have never seen a woman like her. Nobody who looks like her, nobody who moves like her. And as she raised her arms to unlock the door to her house, the light glanced off her arms, and it seemed to illuminate the air and to brighten the sea. And because she is in it, the whole world is a brighter and more beautiful place. And then I looked away and saw her no more, and my world became dark and hopeless and empty. Who is she? asked Skirnir. A giant. Her father is Gimir, the earth giant, her mother a mountain giant, our Boda. And does this beautiful creature have a name? Her name is Gerd. Fry was silent once more. Skirnir said, Your father is worried about you. We are all worried. Is there something I can do? If you will go to her and ask for her hand, I would give anything. I cannot live without her. Bring her back to me to be my wife. Whatever her father says, I will pay you so well. You are asking a lot, my lord, said Skirnir. I will give anything, said Fry fervently, and he shivered. Skirnir nodded. I will do this thing, lord. He hesitated. Fry, may I look at your sword? Fry took out his sword and held it out for Skirnir to examine. There is no other sword like this. It will fight by itself without a hand holding it. It will always protect you. No other sword, no matter how powerful, can penetrate its defense. They say that the sword can even prevail against the flaming sword of Surtur, the fire demon. Skirnir shrugged. It is a fine sword. If you wish me to bring you Gerd, this sword will be my wages. Fry nodded assent. He gave Skirnir his sword and a horse to ride. Skirnir traveled north until he reached the house of Gimir. He entered as a guest and explained who he was and who had sent him. He told the beautiful Gerd of his master, Fry. He is the most splendid of all the gods, he told her. He has dominion over the rain and the weather and the sunshine, and he gives the folk of Midgard good harvests and peaceful days and nights. He watches over the prosperity and abundance of humanity. All people love and worship him. He told Gerd of the beauty of Fry and of his power. He told her of the wisdom of Fry, and at the last he told her of the love Fry bore for her, how he had been heartstruck by a vision of her, and now would no longer eat or sleep or drink or speak until she agreed to be his bride. Gerd smiled, and her eyes shone with joy. Tell him yes, she said. I will meet him on the Isle Bari for the wedding nine days from now. Go and tell him. Skirnir returned to Njord's hall. Before he could even climb down from his horse, Fry was there, even more pale and even more wan than when he had left him. What news? he asked. Do I rejoice or do I despair? She will take you to be her husband, nine days from now on the island of Bari, said Skirnir. Fry looked at his servant without joy. The nights without her in my life last forever, he said. One night is so long. Two nights are even longer. How will I manage to cope with three nights? Four days feel like a month to me, and you expect me to wait nine days? And Skirnir looked at his lord with pity. 
Nine days from that day on the Isle of Bari, Fry and Gerd met for the first time, and they married in a field of waving barley. She was as beautiful as he had dreamed, and her touch was as fine, her kiss as sweet as he had hoped. Their wedding was blessed, and some say that their son, Fjolnir, went on to become the first king of Sweden. He would drown in a vat of mead late one night, hunting in the darkness for a place to piss. Skirnir took the sword he had been given, Fry's sword that fought all by itself, and he returned to Alfheim with it. The beautiful Gerd filled the hole in Fry's life, and the hole in his heart. Fry did not miss his sword, and he did not replace it. When he fought the giant Beli, he killed him with a stag's antler. Fry was so strong he could kill a giant with his bare hands. Even so, he should not have given his sword away. Ragnarok is coming. When the sky splits asunder and the dark powers of Muspel march out on their war journey, Fry will wish he still had his sword. And that was the tale of Fry and Gerd, and as told by Neil Gaiman in his Norse mythology. And of course, uh, we do have a few comments about it, but not too many, because I think that this is a pretty straightforward example of... I think here Neil Gaiman's not doing anything wrong. He's not making any missteps. He's not injecting himself into the mythology as I've criticized him for doing in the past. This is actually a pretty straightforward telling of the Skirnir's journey. We've talked about Skirnir before, back when we covered the Kevin Crossley Holland adaptation of the myth. And, you know, I like the fact that he's used this kind of spare story to hang details of Norse cosmology on. I like the fact that he's taken this and he's added some grace notes to it. He's actually now, now we have an explanation of Valhalla, which is something we've never had before. Has nothing to do with Fry and nothing to do with Skirnir. And I don't think that any of that was included in the the original story. I'm not going to go back and check because you all know I'm lazy as fuck. But anyway, I like the fact that that, we have this exposition here and it kind of fleshes out the skeletons of a very bare-bones story. Again, I think that there is significant respect here for the material, but at the same time, he realizes that this is kind of a thin story, and so we get some details about Fry that we didn't know before, um, about his ship and his boar and all of that stuff. And we also have his uh, you know, this detailed description of Valhalla and how the warriors are chosen and all of that, even though this has nothing to do with it. So this is Neil Gaiman kind of making an omelet out of what he has, and, and it works. And even if you think about it too hard, it's like, well, why did he do that here? <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, as, as critical as I can be of, of Gaiman at times and, and the way he doesn't always respect the material the way I feel it should be. I do like this adaptation. I think it's a fine adaptation. Is it just me, or did he change Skirnir from a human to an elf? I actually, I, I, I again, I'm not going to go back and look, but I think that Skirnir originally, was he not a human from Midgard? Hmm, I think he was. I'm not, not absolutely sure about that. But uh, yeah, here he's obviously, he's from Alfheim, and therefore is one of the light elves. There is a lack of elven characters in the original Norse mythology. We really don't get a lot of them. And I think that's one of the reasons why Gaiman decided he just wanted to write Svartalfam right out of the picture and just make it into you know, the kingdom of the dwarves, even though it's not. 
which, as you all know, kind of pisses me off a little bit. But here, actually, we have an elf. So there you go. Skirner's an elf now. All right. So uh, because this was a short story, and because we don't have a lot to say about it, because it was, a, to my mind, a really good adaptation, uh, let's move on to something else. We do have a few minutes left. So let's talk about C2E2. Yeah. Um, so back uh, last weekend, as I record this, so that would have been back the, uh, I think it's the 23rd through the 25th, was the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo at the McCormick Center here in Chicago. And the first time in a couple of years I actually attended. You know, this was the 10th C2E2. I have now been to eight of them. Uh, and of course, I can't go back in time to go to the two that I missed. One of the ones I missed was 2016, where I was actually on my big walk and the show was on hiatus. Um, so I didn't get to go see it. And then last year, where I just kind of wasn't into it. I just just didn't want to go, ultimately. It just was, was it a hassle, yeah, all that. But anyway, it turned out to be a really good show. I really enjoyed myself. It was really kind of almost enough to make me wonder, should I just go to this convention every other year? Because I think I appreciated it more this year because I did not go last year. So that seems to be, I don't know, it's something that I'll have to ponder. But normally the way it works is uh, Pete and I will take a, a, a train downtown uh, and then take the shuttle from the train station to you know, the McCormick Place, which is where the convention is every year. This year, I decided to do something a little bit different. I figured that I would probably be buying some stuff, and I didn't want to carry it around all day. So I decided what to do was to stay downtown. And I managed to get a pretty good rate at the Palmer House Hilton, which is just getting off the topic here for a moment is just one of these beautiful, beautiful classic hotels. It was built, I think, believe it was around the turn of the last century, so around 1900. It's all you know, Art Nouveau and marble and polished brass, and it's got this beautiful grill work. And yeah, I mean, it's really one of these classic hotels. And if you're in Chicago, you can just walk in the lobby and just look around, and you'll see the best of it. The rooms. Well, they're nothing to write home about. I mean, they're nice. They've got some nice furnishings, but you can tell that they've been revamped a couple of times over the years. Not a lot of character there. There's some issues that you have with any vintage building where you know it's a little bit tight sometimes. It's a little bit stuffy. The room that I had actually had this beautiful view. It's a, an air shaft. <laughs> in other words not a very beautiful view at all but I had to have the window open to that air shaft because it was so stuffy in the room but yeah I mean this is not a, a hotel review podcast so I'm not going to talk about that any further but uh, definitely uh, you know it's nice to be closer to the show you don't have an hour commute instead you can just go to the nearest shuttle and just take the shuttle into mccormick place once you get to mccormick place then you have to wait in line they have a weird system set up this year that, that i didn't really care for where not only do you have to go and pick up your pass then you have to activate your pass everybody heard of that i don't know i've never seen it before at c2e2 and I've been to eight out of the ten of C2E2, so you know I've been to almost all of them. But anyway, so you activate your pass, and then you have to go wait in this sort of cattle holding area where you just, everyone's kind of huddled together like sheep, and you just kind of wait there until the show floor opens. And if you have a bad knee, well, that's just tough noogies. Um, you basically have to stand there. There's no place to sit for the uh, infirm or elderly. 
Um, so yeah, basically you just have to stand there with, with all the other punters and then eventually they'll let you in. Almost immediately upon being let into the show, I had to go to uh, my first panel and that is a, a panel that was held by, it was actually one of the participants was my uh, good friend, Mark Martel. And he was uh, one of the uh, presenters of the panel. It was a discussion about Asian Americans in geek culture and also Asian American representation in geek culture. So there, there was definitely uh, stories of these people's geek journeys and the various things that they're interested in, how they got involved in fandom, that kind of thing. All very interesting. Uh, and it was, it was definitely worth sitting through for an hour. It was, it was an interesting panel. Definitely would go again. Then I had another hour to kind of to kill and went back to the convention floor and did a little bit of shopping. And then uh, around that time, it got to be about one and I had another meeting at one and that was a meetup of fellow podcasters and some of whom we may be hearing from soon uh, with, with trailers on this show. Uh, but there are a couple of geek related shows that I thought sounded really interesting. So I'm going to check them out. And uh, we've already talked a little bit about maybe getting a, a trailer for, for one or two of these shows. And it's always good to reconnect with podcasters, especially when I haven't talked to them for a while. And I talked to a couple of people who I've met at past shows and just kind of, you know, basically we got to reintroduce ourselves and yes, hey, I'm still out there. Yeah, so are you. Cool. You know, that kind of thing. It's always good to network. I'm lousy at schmoozing. And it's, it's one of the things that generally the, the show suffers from is that I'm not a good schmoozer. I'm not good at promoting myself. And that's the kind of thing that I can do. I can go and I can have a conversation with a fellow podcaster and share my experiences what is really weird, though, is that it seems that at some point over the last few years, I've become a resource. Um, I've been doing this podcast now. We're in our eighth year. And, yeah, it, it's it's weird how it seems like I just started it. But at the same time, we're 300-plus episodes in and we've been doing it for eight years, so now we're a resource for newcomers that who want to know about how to do a podcast. They can come to me and talk to me about it, and it's just a weird situation because I don't feel like I've been doing it for all that long or that I'm particularly good at it. So anyway, um, so after the meetup, uh, back to the, to the con floor, and I began to shop in earnest. Um, as you guys know, I collect original comic art, uh, my emphasis in the past was certainly Legion of Superheroes art. Still do look for Legion of Superheroes art. And this year and last time also, I've started to spread out into the Thor art realm. There's a lot of artwork that is related to Thor and Hercules and so forth out there. So I'm going out there and I'm seeing what I can find. And I, you know, just kind of what I've been doing with the Legion art is kind of doing the same thing with the Thor art. I'm looking for different series, different eras that I can maybe acquire some artwork from those different eras and put together kind of a cohesive collection of, okay, these are my favorite eras of Thor. And as you guys know from a couple of years ago, I mean, I got an Oliver Koipel page. You know, I, I've, I've seen some other Thor art too. This year, I kind of, like I said, I overspent, and it, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not sorry that I overspent because I got three great pieces. One, of course, is a Legion of Superheroes page, and 
and the other two are Thor pages. And we'll talk a little bit more about those in a sec. But I uh, went to, to the shopping and I started to go through Artist Alley after I did a little bit of shopping and began to uh, look around, uh, started to get my bearings as it were and to see who I wanted to talk to. Now, the first piece that I picked up is actually an Isad Rebic page. I went into the convention wanting to buy an Isad Rebic painted page. I knew that they were not going to be cheap, but I had my eye on a couple of them that I had looked at online. And one of the main art dealers that I buy from at conventions has an online store. So I was able to go and say, okay, this is the page. These are the, the two or three pages that I'm interested in. We'll see if they're sold yet. And if they're not, then I'll you know, make an offer on whatever page. Art dealers are generally willing to do a deal and sometimes you can talk them down a little bit. So I was hoping I could talk them down a little bit. And what I settled on was a page from the Loki miniseries. I believe it's from Loki number two. And it's the page where Loki is cutting off the hair of Sif. But anyway, so I found the Seaside Rebic page. Now that the art dealer who I'm dealing with um, is actually Isad Rebic's dealer. So he's the one who most of his pencils go through. Um, he's got a lot of different stuff that Isad Rebic has done, is including Thor God of Thunder, including the Loki stuff, including the X-Men stuff that he's done. Yeah, I mean, Rebic has done a bunch of, of art, and this is the first place that you would go. Thought about a couple of the Thor God of Thunder pencil pages, but I really wanted a painted piece. So... I mean, his, his artwork is, is nice in pencil form, but it's not what you see on the finished page. And I guess it's, that's true for most of it. I mean, most of it isn't what you see on the real page. But there's such a big difference between Rebic's pencils and between the full experience of what you would get, say, in Thor, God of Thunder. So I wanted a painted page. Uh, so anyway, I got my painted page, and then I found a, a Joe State and Legion of Superheroes page. And I'd seen the page before. I would actually think I'd seen it with this dealer live last time I was at the show, and it was still there. And it was one that I, I thought very seriously about getting and decided, okay, well, let's see if I can make a deal on these two pieces together. And I was able to actually talk him down a couple hundred bucks got, uh, you know, both pages. And at that point, I should have stopped. <laughs> Not because I'm dissatisfied with my other purchases, but just because uh, that was really my budget. <laughs> I should have stopped there. But anyway, one of the other guests at this convention was Russ Dowderman. Now, you guys know I like me some Dowderman artwork. He took a little bit of time to grow on me, if you recall. But you know, I think that if you listen to my, my past reviews of, of the Thor series that he was drawing, you know, I'm saying all kinds of nice things about his art and the flow of it and the composition and how it all looks. And, you know, I poke fun too because that's what I do. But I got to meet Russ Outerman. Yeah. And very charming gentleman. Uh, he was there with his, I believe it's his partner. Don't want to be presumptuous, but I, they had that chemistry. So I kind of get the, the definite impression that they were a couple. But uh, anyway, very charming, very, uh, very happy to talk with me and very patient with, with a kind of a fanboy who was kind of geeking out over the artwork. 
and uh, he had some artwork there. Now, Dowderman is one of these artists who works digitally. So it's always kind of a hit or miss whether these digital artists will have anything physical that they can sell. And I just kind of went in there hoping that maybe there would be pages that I could buy. And it turns out that even though he works digitally and he doesn't do physical pencils, he does artist proofs and he only does one proof per page. So that's what he sells instead of original pencils. And I, the, the prices were, were reasonable enough that I'm thinking, okay, I can justify this expense for a really good page. And uh, looking through the stuff, I kind of was between two and three different ones that, that I really liked. One that was quite inexpensive and it was kind of my, my front runner. And then a couple that were a little more expensive, but, but equally as good, if not better. And uh, while I was sitting here and I was you know, looking through Downerman's pages and we're making small talk back and forth between, uh, um, between uh, Mr. Dowderman and myself, um, there was another woman who came up next to me and she was looking at the art too. And we're kind of looking at it together because I kind of pushed the book over and we're kind of looking together through the book. And uh, we're looking through the book and I'm kind of trying to make a decision on which piece I really want. And I kind of made a decision and it turns out that she and I were both wanting the same piece. Awkward. And then I found out that she was actually a comic book artist <laughs> yeah, so so I'm here and I'm trying to decide what to do about this. And uh, you got this this very nice lady who, yeah, we're having a very pleasant conversation and we're admiring the art together and yeah, basically having a good time visiting each other. I have no idea who she was, didn't know what she was drawing, but found out that she had done some work for Marvel. And uh, it is indeed Allison Sampson, who has done some work for Marvel. She also was a Artist Alley exhibitor. And she was, I guess, on a break and had come over to, to look at the Dowderman art, too. And I let her buy the piece that we were kind of both looking at. Not, not because I'm super magnanimous or anything like that, but just because there were enough good pieces there that I could still find something that I wanted. And I really did like the piece that we were both looking at, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just too nice. Maybe I should have been greedy and just gotten it. But anyway, it was a beautiful piece from a Thor issue we haven't covered yet. And I got another page from that same issue that was also a really good piece. And these are uh, from the Girl Thor series and sort of right towards the end of the Girl Thor series, the issues that we haven't looked at yet. Um, but we'll be looking at it at some point in the not-too-distant future. We kind of each got our pages and kind of went our own separate way. So, you know, big thanks to Russell Dowderman uh, and his companion for, for being so gracious and, and patient with, you know, kind of fanboy drooling over his artwork. And he's holding a napkin under me to keep, keep the slobber from falling. That. That's not really true. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, very, very nice. You know, I've never met a comics professional who wasn't anything but gracious. I think the, probably the, the rudest would have, been, would have been Jason Aaron. But even so, he wasn't really rude. He was just kind of terse, I guess. Um, but anyway, um, and then I uh, went over and I talked to uh, Joe Staten for a while. Now, one of the, the, the pieces that I bought was a Legion of Superheroes page by Joe Staten. I think I've already mentioned that. 
And because Joe Staten was at the convention, decided, hey, yeah, might as well have him sign it. The inker, Dave Hunt, had already signed it, so why not him? So I went over and I chatted with uh, Joe Staten for a while. That was the second time I've actually had a conversation with Joe Staten at C2E2. And he's just as, as pleasant as, as ever. Um, Joe Staten's one of the nicest guys in comics. And, and it, it's, I, it makes me feel good to see these guys at the conventions and people still interested in their work, coming up to them, talking to them. You know, you could argue that these older guys, you know, their most active years are behind them. A lot of them are working on other things, like in, in Staten's case, he's doing the Dick Tracy comic strip now. So, you know, he's not really doing comic book work now. So it was kind of a trip to be able to go up to Staten and say, um, you know, could you please sign this piece of artwork that you haven't seen for a very long time and then put in front of him a piece that he drew 40 years ago <laughs> and ask him to sign it? And that's literally what I did. Of course, a lot of these artists, you know, they take donations for their signature, um, if, even if they don't charge. And uh, in this case, there were donations being made to uh, the Heroes Initiative, and I made sure that I gave a nice, generous donation for, for State and Signature. And that was, yeah, that was my, uh, my art adventures. The Isad Rebic page, Russell Dotterman Thor page, and the Legion of Superhero page from Joe Staten. And I will be putting clips of all three of those pages on the Facebook group uh, so you all can see what uh, pages I got. And, uh, yeah, so... At that point, it was getting late in the show, and I, you know, I kind of went through Artist Alley a little more. I visited with uh, my friend Dale Lazaroff, who is the Stanley of Gay, um, and he he has his own uh, graphic novel line. Uh, if you're interested in gay erotica, you should check out Sticky Graphic Novels. Um, and if you're not interested in those, never mind. <laughs> you know, uh, I know I know not all of you out there are into that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, Dale's a hell of a nice guy. I, I've been Facebook friends with him for a while, and I'd never met him before. But I decided, yeah, I'd say, hey, it's time to stop by. And he was seated right behind uh, Russ Outerman, so it made it really convenient. All right, so that's my con report. And you know, like I said, uh, very nice con. I had a good time. Definitely will be going back at some point. There was a couple of pages that I passed up from Hercules Unbound. I know how you guys love Hercules Unbound. They were very tempting, but I was already over budget, so I wasn't about to, uh, to go to that expense. Anyway, it is time to wrap up the show, folks. Once again, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to email the show, feel free to do so. The email address is RadioFreeAsgard at gmail. Dot com. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>